CJ and Natalie, these guys are amazing. You have got incredible parts. Let's just honor them for a moment. They are awesome, absolutely awesome. Brilliant. Great. So I'm going to jump straight into what God has put on my heart to share with you this morning. And I want to tell you a bit of a story. Now, about four years ago, Stuart and I, we had traveled 400 kilometers from our home. So from Manchester to a place called Bournemouth. And we were there for a family party. Now, we had a great time at the party and we said goodbye to all of our relatives and we got in our car, which was a, a relatively nice BMW. Now, we liked this car. It was kind of like, oh, it was probably the coolest car we'd ever had. And the thing you need to know about this car, it was a lease car. So it was about to go back to the lease company the week after this family party. So we left the party, we got in the car, and we only drove maybe 10 minutes towards the destination of home when something happened. We're driving along and I suddenly start thinking, what is that coming out of the bonnet? And it was smoke. So I was like, babe, babe, there's smoke coming out of the bonnet. And so we, we started getting closer to this petrol station that we could see coming up and the car started to chug. We're getting closer. As we get into the forecourt of the petrol station, there is suddenly a puff of black smoke, almost like when a genie comes out of the bottle. You get this puff, and then the genie's there. Well, we were so, like, we were ashamed. Like, people in the forecourt were, like, looking like, what on earth has happened? This lovely car has gone up literally in a puff of smoke. Now, as we sat there, we're, we're trying to figure out what do we do? We're 400 kilometers from home do, and we need help. So we ended up calling a recovery vehicle to come. And we had to decide at that moment, are we going to go back to where the family are or are we going to continue our journey home? And oh, I can tell you that moment in the car, sat with my husband, I was so ticked with him. It was probably one of our major arguments in our marriage happened at that moment because I knew that there were a few things he hadn't done to keep that car in tip-top shape. And I knew this was going to be a bill we had to pay before we gave the car back later that week. So anyway, that was going on. I was kind of giving him the daggers across the car, like, what are we going to do? And so the recovery vehicle turned up. And it said, okay, we can recover you all the way back to Manchester. So we were like, oh, this is so great. So we climbed into the recovery vehicle. We got blankets and we put them around us and we thought, okay, it's a long way home, but we're going to be okay. We're comfortable here. So anyways, we go about 100 kilometers and suddenly this recovery guy, he actually stops and says, you can get out here. We're like, what? What do you mean we can get out here? And he explained to us then, I can only take you 100 kilometers and then another recovery vehicle has to come and pick you up. I mean, who knows? The journey we set out to do when we left that family party didn't go as we expected. What ended up happening is we had to have four recovery vehicles and we arrived home at three in the morning. 
oh, that journey involved detours, it involved dark moments, and I'll tell you more about that later. But wow, doesn't life often not go the way that we expect? Have you experienced things like that in your life? When, I don't know, you've set out to go on holiday and the flight is cancelled, or you're about to go and do something, meet up with a friend and you get sick and you can't go. Wow, life happens and it doesn't always go as we expect. Do you know, in the Bible, the people of God were very accustomed to going on journeys. It was part of their culture that once they got to the land that God had promised them, every year, actually three times a year, the people of God would go on a journey to Jerusalem. And they used to call these feasts or festivals. The Bible describes them as pilgrimages. We might call this a quest. They had to travel, the people of God, from where they lived to Jerusalem. And that journey was sometimes treacherous. It was sometimes scary. It was sometimes not quite what they expected. And we're going to jump now into Psalm 84. And we're going to read a little bit about this pilgrimage that the people of God went on. Psalm 84, it says there, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord God Almighty. My soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools, and they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. And there are some slides somewhere. I don't know whether they're appearing, but we have got some. So we all today did a journey to get here to conference, but I don't reckon for most of us it was a quest unless you had to bring your children, (laughs) then it might have been a quest to get them out of the house and to get here on time. But the type of quest that we're going to be talking about this morning is the quest from the day that we met Jesus till the day that we're done. That is what we're going to be talking about. That's the journey that we're going to be talking about together this morning. The quest from the moment you said yes to God until the moment that your days are finished and you're with God in heaven. And who knows, that quest that we're each on, it has its ups and downs. It has its celebrations and it has its sadness. It has its high points and it has its low points. And often people don't stay the course I know for Stuart and I and Pastor DJ and Karen, we know so many people, particularly people in ministry, who don't stay the course. They opt out somewhere along the way. And maybe you know people like that. They started well, but they opted out somewhere along the way. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to learn some lessons from the Israelites, from the journey, this pilgrimage that they went on. 
So what is the first thing that we have to do if we're going to make it to the finish line? Well, we have to lock in the destination before we start. We have to lock in the destination before we start. It's said there in verse 2 of our scripture this morning, their hearts were set on pilgrimage. They were set on pilgrimage. They had decided in advance that they were going to get to Jerusalem. They, they didn't kind of just decide casually, oh, hey, there's a group of us that are going to go to Nina's in Jerusalem tonight. Do any of you want to come? It wasn't that kind of journey. But this was a journey where they set their hearts on the destination. Do you know Jesus did something similar? In Luke 9.51, we actually read that Jesus set his face like a flint so that he could get to the cross. Have you ever wondered why? Why did Jesus have to set his face like a flint? It was because he knew that the journey he was going to go on so that you and me could know God was going to be a difficult one. Do you know in Isaiah 50, there's a prophecy um, Isaiah prophesied 800 years into the future to talk about the journey that Jesus would take. And Jesus, in those verses in Isaiah 50, is described as the suffering servant. We actually sang about it in one of our songs this morning, that our Savior was prophesied that he was going to be a suffering savior who was going to be accustomed to trauma. He is a savior that is accustomed to trauma and suffering and difficulty. It says in, in verse 6 to 7 of Isaiah 50, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I didn't hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I set my face like a flint and I know I will not be put to shame. This flint, you might think, well, what is flint? Well, it's an extremely hard rock. It's used figuratively all through the Bible to express hardness and inflexibility, unwavering determination. And so this expression that Jesus set his face like a flint is, is just declaring, I am going to get through whatever happens to me along the way. And the Apostle Paul was similar. He said, one thing I do, forgetting what's behind me, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What would your life look like today if Jesus had opted out? If Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, when he'd said, oh, if not, not my will be done, but yours. What if Jesus had said at that point, I can't go through with it. I can't endure this suffering. He didn't do that. He strained towards the mission that God had given him. 
Do you know, for those Israelites, let's go back to those Israelites. I believe that the regularity of their journeys to worship God three times a year established a rhythm for their life. They'd set their course and they had these rhythms that they followed. And it was like a vehicle on which momentum carried them. And in our lives, our rhythms are what carry us. We get up in the morning and we choose to read the word. We choose to talk to God. On a Sunday, we choose to come to church. We choose to tithe, to give our 10% into the house of God. We choose to worship. We choose to keep on turning up. Those rhythms keep us towing the line of our commitment. I remember a few years ago in our church, we had an incredible woman who's a friend of ours, and she had lost three babies, so one after the other after the other. And at the third miscarriage, I remember one Sunday morning, I turned around, and we have a praise pit at the front of our church, and there she was, stood in the praise pit, hands raised, and tears rolling down her face. She wasn't singing. She was just stood with her hands in the air. And she was crying. And after the service, I went up to her and I said, oh, it's so good to see you. How have you done it? How have you got here today? And she said, Julie, we keep on turning up. She said, I know this is where I needed to be today. And she said... She said, I can't sing, but the sound of everyone around me singing is doing something on the inside. She just kept turning up. Wow. There's an incredible sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached. And this is something that he said as he strongly urged believers to imitate the Lord's determination. He said, my great object is to lead you to love him who so loved you that he set his face like a flint in his determination to save you. Come and think a while of him that your hearts may burn within you and that your faces may be set like flints to live and die for him who lives and died for you. We have got to set our destination this morning. Wave Point Church, we've got to set it in before we begin. The second thing that we have got to do and we learn from the Israelites is we've got to be prepared for the curveballs. We have to be prepared for the curveballs. In the scripture I read to you earlier, it said that the Israelites on their quest to Jerusalem they passed through the valley of Baca. Now that's not like tobacco, it's Baca. Okay, they passed through the valley of Baca. And it says that the meaning of that word Baca is weeping. When they pass through the valley of weeping. Now, lots of commentators have said a lot about what this valley was about, what this backer was about. And many commentators say that it was because of the types of trees that were in this particular valley. Maybe they looked a bit like a weeping willow, if you've ever seen one of those. 
But the psalmist uses this expression, the valley of Baca, to illustrate the difficult and sorrowful paths that we walk through in our journeys, in our quests. If the Israelites were going to get to Jerusalem, they had to pass through the valley of weeping. They had to. There was no way of circumnavigating this valley of weeping. They had to go through it. And what we know from reading and looking into it is this valley was difficult to cross. It was treacherous, but it was also dry. It was completely dry. There, were no, there was no water there. There wasn't any springs of water. It was a completely dry place. Do you know, in our lives, if we're going to get to our very last day, and if we're going to get to the, the, our end point, of, of going to heaven and being with Jesus, we are going to pass through valleys of weeping. We're going to pass through times and seasons in our lives where it feels dry, where it feels barren, where it feels hard and rocky and difficult. I love Psalm 23. It's a very famous psalm. I'm sure you would have heard it. And David says in Psalm 23, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Did you notice in that scripture that even the right paths that we're guided on go through the valley? doesn't say in that psalm, I was on the wrong path and I went through a valley. It says God leads us on the right path, but the right path very often takes us through the valleys. So why do we get so surprised when we go through difficult times? Do you know the presence of trouble does not indicate the absence of the will of God? Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In 1 Peter 4, Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. I've been surprised at times on our journey. I've been like, why is this happening to us? Why are we having to go through these difficult things? Well, when we go through suffering, we're going through what Jesus went through. We're suffering with the suffering Savior. Do you know, troubles will happen, but it's what we do when they happen that will determine the outcome of our lives. In our lives, we experience so many different troubles, so many different types of suffering. Maybe it's sicknesses, physical sicknesses, mental health challenges. Maybe it's losses. Maybe it's failures. Maybe it's trouble with our children or our relationships. Maybe it's, our, it's betrayals that we've gone through. So what do we do when those curveballs come? Well... I want to suggest this morning that when you pass through, you need to press in. 
when we're passing through, we need to press in. And this is exactly what the Israelites did when they passed through the valley of weeping. They made it a place of springs. Now, let's reverse back a little bit to our wonderful adventure with the BMW. So there came a point on this journey home where we literally found ourselves in a service station at one in the morning and everything started to close. We were like, it was a bit like, have you seen that Tom Hanks film where he sleeps in an airport? It was a little bit like that. So we're in this service station and we're kind of sat on these chairs and it was dark and it was cold. And one by one, the lights started to go off around us. And we were like, oh my goodness, literally, we're going to be here all night. And then this little cleaner just came along with her broom and she was just sweeping in front of us and around us. And we were there all night, literally till the early hours of the morning until this, um, this next car came to pick us up. And I remember we sat there and you have those crazy moments where you think, is this it? Are we going to be here forever, stuck in this dark service station in the middle of the night? But no, we were just thankfully passing through. We weren't going to stay there forever. Do you know, many of us have, have passed through much worse places than a service station in the dark, in the middle of the night. I'm sure you've had those moments in your life where there's been a conversation, there's been a word said to you, there's been a piece of news that you have received, there's been a hospital room that you've sat in where something has landed with you. Do you know, those moments can be the most challenging moments or these moments can be the moments where God turns up and does something incredible in our lives. Stuart mentioned last night, and he didn't know that I was going to be talking about this in my session today. He mentioned about one of our most difficult moments, possibly the most challenging thing moment we've ever faced. And in this on this particular occasion, we were called to the hospital in the middle of the night. We were fast asleep in our beds and the phone rang and they said, you have to get to the hospital now. So we got to the hospital and when we arrived there, they said to us, you need to go into this room, this little room. And Stuart looked at me and I looked at him and, and it, it's like that little room is the place where often the bad news is delivered. So we go into this hospital, this little room and we sit there and we were numb. We were in shock. We didn't know what was going to happen. It was a life or death moment. And I can remember because it was the middle of the night, all of our friends were asleep. And I remember us getting the phone out and trying to phone our pastors, trying to phone our friends and say, will you pray with us? Will you stand with us? But we realized everyone was asleep and their phones were on silent. And so what did we do? We sat there in that hospital room. And after a few minutes, we, we pulled out our phone and opened our Bible. And I remember us turning to 2 Chronicles 20 verse 12. And this, was the, this is the story of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, he was given the news. A vast army is coming against you from Edom. 
And it says here, alarmed Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And then he said these words to God. And these were the words we read out, out loud, into our situation. We said, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And there in that room, and it, it wasn't like a praise party or a celebration. There wasn't any music playing. But there, we just began to say, God, we don't know what to do. We haven't got any power to face this situation. But we're choosing to put our eyes on you. And then one after the other, Stuart and I prayed. We began to say, God, will you meet with us here in the middle of this situation? And we began over a course of a day or two to see God move and literally raise what we thought might be dead back to life. Do you know there's also another option that we have when we go through the difficult times? We can either press in or we can opt out. Sometimes when stuff happens, we just say, right, I'm out of here. It's like we take our ball home. We get a grudge. We get offended in church or other places in life. And we say, I'm just going to take my ball home. I'm off. I'm out of here. Or maybe we keep on attending, but we move from the front row to the back row. We sit with our arms folded in church and we're like, I'm disappointed. I've had enough. These guys are hypocrites. And instead of pressing in when we're passing through, we opt out instead. Do you know Winston Churchill said, when you're going through hell, keep going. Keep going. There is a phrase, and I don't know if you've heard this phrase, and it is the most irritating, annoying thing in my soul and spirit. And it is this. It is what it is. It is what it is. It's like, oh, okay, sirrah, sirrah. Whatever will be, will be. And I kind of imagine, I'm like, you're just going along the, the road, kicking a football. Oh, it is. It is what it is. Oh, I lost my job. Oh, it is what it is. My child's away from the Lord. Oh, it is what it is. I've, my toes got cut off. My leg's falling off. Oh, it is. It is what it is. Do you know, I hate that phrase. Because what it is, is passive. It's like, oh, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Almost like we are powerless in the midst of our own lives. But what did the Israelites do when I passed through the valley of weeping? I am going to make it a place of springs. Wow. It's, they didn't say, oh, I'm passing through a valley of weeping. Oh, it is what it is. Whatever will happen, will happen. Can you imagine if we'd been in that hospital room and we'd just gone, oh, it is what it is. Imagine the miracle may not have happened if we had taken a passive attitude towards our circumstances and just said, it is what it is. But the people of God, and I believe God wants to teach us a lesson this morning, that when we are passing through difficult times in our lives, we have an opportunity to meet him right there in the middle of our weeping. What are you passing through? Is it a loss? 
Is it a disappointment? Is it sadness? Is it a struggle that has happened? Is it unemployment? Is it your child that's gone away from the Lord? What are you passing through? How I see this and how I've experienced this in my own life, it's almost like, God, if I have got to be here in this situation, I'm going to be here with you in this situation. If I've got to be here... And I I don't believe I'm here by accident. God doesn't make stuff happen, but he allows us to pass through things for a reason. Wow, so God, if I've got to be here in this hospital room, I'm going to invite you to be here with me. I'm going to make a place that is dark, that is barren, that is dry, a place of encounter. I'm going to make this place a place where I meet with God. And I, and I draw down from heaven what I need in that moment. These scriptures, it says, as they passed through the valley of weeping, they made it a place of springs. But finally, this is what it says. In verse 7 of Psalm 84, they go from strength to strength till each one appears before God in Zion. They go from strength to strength. Wow. Another version of the Bible, and one of the commentaries suggested this. This phrase, they go from strength to strength. They suggested it actually has the sense of they go from you to you. They go from encounter to encounter. Not difficulty to difficulty but encounter to encounter. If I've got to be here in this place, I am going to go from strength to strength. I'm going to go from encounter to encounter. Now, what does this look like in our lives? So something happens. Maybe it's a betrayal Maybe you're betrayed and you're like, okay, God, I heard what Julie was talking about in the conference and I've got to, I've got to press in here. I've, I've got to press in to God. I've got to press in to his presence. So God, if I'm here, you're here with me. And in this place, I'm going to receive strength. In this place, I'm going to press into him and I'm going to encounter him right here in the midst of this betrayal. And then maybe a few weeks or months pass and you've gone from strength, from encounter to the next challenge that you face. Maybe in this place, you encounter a loss. Maybe dad leaves Dad leaves and he's not around anymore and mum's absent. And you're like, oh God, this is so difficult. Do you know the way that people develop post-traumatic stress disorder is by avoidance. 
that is the biggest reason that people, um, some people experience a trauma and they come through it. Other people experience a trauma and they develop PTSD. Have you ever wondered why? Two people can experience the same trauma and one walks through, not an easy walk, walks through and heals, but another person suffers for the rest of their life. Often it's because when we hit this point, the loss has happened. We avoid. Oh, it is what it is. It is what it is. It's happened. Que sera, sera. There's a, just a numbness, a hardness develops because what you haven't done is you haven't faced it in the presence of God. The difference when you come to God and you say, this has happened, I'm passing through the valley of weeping, but instead of avoiding it, instead of opting out of it and numbing myself, I'm actually going to stay here and I'm going to begin to pour out to God my lament. I'm going to tell God how I feel. I'm going to face my trauma in the presence of God. And do you know what begins to happen as we go from strength to strength, as we processing our trauma in his presence. It's like strength training in the presence of God. We lift our praise. We lift our prayer. We lift our worship. We pull down his presence. We pull down his presence in the middle of the trauma. And what begins to happen is we grow in strength. Resilience starts to grow. We've gone from a difficulty to a trauma. And then we're, we're feeling a bit stronger and we think, okay, things are going better for me. That's probably it now. That's the worst thing I've ever gone through. And then, sorry for the bad news, something else happened. And you think, oh God, why me? Why me again? Why, why, have I go why am I going through this? I've already been through this. But there's something different in this trauma because you've already walked that step and you've gained in strength your spiritual muscles have grown and so you get here and you say this this feels like the worst day and what do you do you get your bible and you say oh god even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are here with me. I am going to make this valley of weeping a place of springs and I'm going to encounter you right here, right in the middle of my suffering. Wow, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to develop your strength in his presence. He wants you to take the mess and he wants to do a miracle in the middle of it. He wants to encounter you so powerfully in the midst of your suffering that you begin to look like some power lifter. Do you know, I've got a good friend and she knows some of the trials we've walked through and she often says to me, Julie, how are you so resilient? And every time I say, it's Jesus, it's only Jesus, because I learned to strength train in the presence of the Lord. And this is what God wants for each one of us today, that when we pass through valleys of weeping, He wants you to make it a place of encounter with Him. And as I'm coming to a close this morning, I want you to know that actually it's not for you, not just for you, 
that this victory happens. Your pressing in, your strength training in his presence is for others. The victories that you win, the battles that you fight are not just for you, but they're for other people. That there are others on the other side of your breakthrough. Stuart mentioned last night, and again, we had not discussed what we were talking about. The very same conference Stuart talked about where he met Pastor CJ, I was preaching on that day and we'd literally, we'd been at the hospital in the night, that was the same night. And I was due to preach the next day. And I remember our pastor, Glyn, they'd, they'd eventually got to the hospital in the early hours of the morning once they woke up and, and were there with us. And, and Glyn looked at me across the hospital room and said, Julie, I know you're due to preach tomorrow, but you don't have to. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. And in that moment, as I sat there in that hospital room, I said to Glenn, I have to preach today. I have to preach because I believe that the, what the enemy intended for harm, God is going to turn it around for good. So I, I made my way from the hospital to the church and, and the conference was full of people. And my session that afternoon was, was going to be about mental health. And I was speaking about that subject. And unbeknownst to me, there was a young guy called Charlie. He was, he was at that conference. And I didn't know this, but he had said to God, this is the last chance. I, I, I haven't got it in me to carry on anymore. But I'm going to go to Julie's session this afternoon. And so again, I had no idea at the time, but Charlie crept in at the back of my session and I began to speak and I began to bring hope to the young adults in the area of mental health. And at the end, there was an appeal and Charlie came and he stood in that appeal. And in that moment, as he walked from the back to the front, God healed him dramatically in that moment. He had, he had suffered. Charlie had suffered from crippling social anxiety to the point where he, he couldn't, he didn't barely speak to anyone. He, he wasn't serving because he just couldn't face crowds. But that day he walked to the front and he was healed instantly. And then after that, Charlie began, he became a schools worker. He started going into high schools and sharing with young people about his journey. Can you imagine if I'd said no? If I'd opted out in the place of difficulty as I was passing through, and I mean, I think people might have understood if I'd opted out at that moment because it was difficult. But if I'd not stepped forward, if I'd not been obedient, if I'd not pressed in in that hospital room, Charlie may not have got his miracle. I mean, God's good and he would have found another way. But I want you to know that the choice you make today there could be someone else on the other side of your decision. So I want us to take just a couple of minutes to respond. My time is gone, but let's just stand to our feet for a moment. Now, I believe this morning that there are people in this room, it might be one, it might be two, 
and you haven't locked in your destination. You haven't yet received Jesus into your life. Maybe you're here and you haven't even made that first step and said, I want to live my life for Jesus. My destination is with Him. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've been a follower of Jesus and you have wandered off over time. Maybe you're one of those people that have been disappointed and you've moved from the front row to the back row. Well, I want us to take a moment this morning and maybe everyone could close their eyes in this place just to give a bit of privacy. And if you're here this morning and you want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, you want to lock in your destination or you want to come back to Jesus, I want you to have courage and raise your hand in this place. I'm going to see your hand and then I'm going to pray for you. But take the moment. I see, yep, I can see you. Is there anyone else in this place? Yep, I can see you. Is there anyone else? And you want to say yes to Jesus? Yep, I can see your hand and yours. And you want to call, you want to come back to Him. Anyone else? Take the moment. Okay, we're going to pray a prayer and we're all going to pray this prayer. We're going to pray it out loud together. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you for your grace and forgiveness. I thank you that this is the first day of the rest of my life. Thank you that you forgive me for my past and you've set me up for a great future. I choose to follow you. Amen. Amen. Let's give a massive, massive round of applause. Incredible. Incredible. And we're going we're gonna to sing so the team can come back. And while we're worshipping, there, there's two other groups of people in the room, I believe. For some of you, you're those who've experienced a curveball. And maybe in, in the receiving of the curveball, there's been hurt, there's been, um, there's been pain, and there's been lots of whys, lots of questions, lots of why God, why me, why has this happened? And today, God wants you to meet with Him. He wants to heal. He wants to remove that hurt and that pain from your life, from that curveball that you have received. And then there's others in this place today, and you're simply saying, yes, I am passing through but I am going to press in. I am going to make this place a place of springs. And we're not going to bring, bring people forward at this point because we've got more sessions to respond. But as we start to sing, I want you to lift up your hands as we start to worship God. We start to, to push the weight of worship. We start to push the weight of praise as we start to sing together. And as you lift your hands, I believe that God God is going to do miracles in this place. He's going to heal where there's been hurt. He's going to bring breakthrough where there's been difficulty. And you are going to begin to experience what it is like to encounter Him in the midst.